0: This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association
1: for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals.
0: It's the week of April 4th, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 423 of Defender Radio. Are you following me on Twitter, Instagram, or the new Defender Radio podcast Facebook page? If not, you really should be. That way you'd know we're now on Stitcher. You'd also get to read the tale of the creepy couch doll and my evil wife, see an adorable picture of Pigeon, my helper on this week's episode, and contribute to interview and video ideas. And starting next week, find out how you can win some prizes through Defender Radio exclusive contests. Head over to thefurbears.com and check out this week's Defender Radio blog to find all the ways you can follow the show. And if you're part of the Potter and Family community on Twitter, let me know and we'll connect. It's remarkable how significant an impact people have on the wildlife around them, even if it isn't always seen. Understanding our role and what we should do to help animals we see is also something we're not too clear on. Fortunately, we have some wonderful people in our communities who can help. Wildlife rehabilitators are ready for the influx of injured, orphaned, or ill babies they'll be seeing in the coming weeks. But a growing part of their work is to make sure their community is ready, too. In southern Ontario, registered rehabilitators are also facing the ongoing spread of rabies and distemper, deadly diseases that can ravage the animals. And in regions like Grimsby, the home of Urban Wildlife Care, rapid development is creating problems in areas where animals once lived without ever being seen. These subjects, along with a few interesting anecdotes about a Headstones concert, squirrels that like to mock dogs, and the need to support our local wildlife rehabilitators, were discussed when Defender Radio was joined by Urban Wildlife Care's Kara Cantardi. Well let's let's dive in. Um could you t- maybe just tell us a little bit about uh, uh, UWC, how it got started, and sort of uh, what the need is in the area.
1: The need is in the area, okay. Um, well, because we're I'm I'm kind of considered in the Niagara region um, because I'm in Grimsby, right? So um, we deal with a lot of the wildlife, you know, all the way pretty much to Niagara Falls, um, and sometimes all the way to Mississauga, all down along the lake, kind of thing. Because there really isn't anybody. Else, you know, in the area, um, especially going towards Mississauga, too. You know, it's it's uh, a huge area to cover. Um, but we're you know we're small potatoes, just like anybody else. Um, I got certified uh, with I W R C uh, back in 1999 uh, when I met Mary Catherine Kruziak, Yeah, out of uh, Niagara Wildlife Haven.
0: Is she is she still working? Uh,
1: she's yeah she's still up in Welland. Um, um, I, I think maybe I don't think she is taking in animals. She might be. I, I haven't double-checked with that. I'm not positive. Um, she's had some, some issues, um, but she's still out there. She's still teaching all the Oren courses, you know, and she's still educating yep. everybody, yep. which is a beautiful thing. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, she mentored me, and she mentored quite a few of us in this area. Oh, yeah, know, a like lot these. of
0: people I know in the region, yeah. She, 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 she's kind of the fairy godmother of wildlife rehab down this way.
1: Uh, well, absolutely, eh? Absolutely. She's got so much knowledge, you know, because she's been doing it for so long, for sure. So, so then I got permitted um, by the m r finally on my own, probably around 2005, I'm going to say it was. And uh, as, as you know, wildlife rehabilitation uh, isn't funded by the government. So I had to go and, you know, I had to find a, somebody that could do the charitable paperwork and incorporate it and, and all that. And uh, I was lucky enough to find somebody to do that for me. Uh, without costing me an arm and a leg. So we got our charitable number. And, uh, yeah, because it's just pretty much me here. And, you know, somebody has to work full-time to pay the bills and, you know, pay the mortgage because, you know, it's not funded, right? So that's probably why there aren't a lot of wildlife rehabilitation facilities because it costs a lot of money to do, you know. And a lot of these little wildlife rehabilitators, um, a lot of them do them out of their their house, you know. So, um, yeah. So I I finally did that.
0: Mm-hmm. The old, there's only one big one now that I know of, and that's Toronto Wildlife Center. No, we, I mean,
1: you know, it's, it's pretty much me for sure, you know, in Grimsby. Um, we have Carol Rokuto, of course, who has the Open Sky Raptor Foundation. She's just just up the hill from me, which is pretty cool. So when, you know, the OPP and such call, you know, with uh, hawks and, and whatnot, you know, I have Carol right there on the hill kind of thing, who's been, you know, rehabbing uh, diurnal uh, raptors for, you know, over 25 years. So she's got a wealth of experience as well. And then of course, we have the Owl Foundation in Vineland, right? So in our little area here we're we're pretty blessed. And then of course, I've got Chantel, who who runs uh, Hobbits D, her own wildlife rehabilitation facility out in Jarvis. And so she,
0: I've taken uh, two animals to her, actually.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so and and Chantelle's actually doing a pretty cool thing right now where she's um, doing a little workshop for all of um, the public. And uh, for for animal control officers and this kind of thing, who might happen upon you know injured orphan wildlife and how to transport that, how to stabilize it before they get it to a rehab facility. So that was pretty cool of her to do as well.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a a, a very interesting sort of uh, topic too that I kind of wanted to segue into. Um, mm-hmm. Is this time of year, as, as you said when we first started talking, it's it's baby season. Yeah,
1: um, oh for sure. Yeah.
0: and you know even in my uh, my neck of the woods in downtown Hamilton I'm seeing just the activity just like a flash just all of a sudden yeah uh, there's more squirrels hitting yeah. the ground there's more raccoons there's more chipmunks uh, the the falcons are out more the little birds are coming back. Um, who are you seeing the most like right now this 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 sort of end of March beginning of April who's who's coming into your uh, facility the most?
1: Okay, so so here at urban wildlife care, we we take care of you know all the fur, I always say. you know we don't take we don't have you know the the room to take care of songbirds and such. But our first babies of the season um, were baby raccoons, So, and they were a week old. So those you know, we have about six baby you know uh, raccoons at the moment that have you know come in in the last, i'm going to say five days, you know. And um, we got a a little pinky squirrel about three days ago. And then yesterday, and and this is something else we should talk about, too, is as everybody's, you know, spring is hitting and and people are starting to look at their backyards and they're starting to clean up all the brush and they're starting to, unfortunately, cut down trees that they couldn't stand. Okay? Unfortunately, we're getting um, the four baby squirrels that came in yesterday were actually from a tree that was cut down. Okay, because the people didn't know that there was a nest of of squirrels in the tree. and according to them, the mother was nowhere to be found, and and that's how the babies end up coming into a rehabilitation facility. Um, And then I just had somebody post on Facebook that the city of Hamilton took down a whack of trees in a park somewhere. So, you know, that kind of stuff just makes my stomach turn, too, because you know that, you know, when the arborists all move in and such, then we're going to get more orphans than are needed, regardless of the ones that are being found in people's roofs, you know, and people are starting to look around their houses, and they're starting to see, you know, that the roof vent's been torn off, and they're starting to see that, you know the fashions ripped off, um, so yeah, we're starting to see a lot of that, and that's how a lot of uh, orphans come into a rehab facility that you know have have mothers should probably be you know, and then we of course we try and guide them you know on how to reunite mom you know with those babies. So,
0: and that's something I think too. Uh, whenever I speak with wildlife rehabilitators, and this this is going back now years when I was when I was working in the newspaper uh, business, I was astounded the first time I heard it. And for some reason, it continues to surprise me, even though it really shouldn't, that almost every case wildlife rehabilitators see has human activity somehow associated to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And there's there's um, it's, it's unfortunate that it. And like how I found Mary Catherine, for instance, and I'm I'm pr- pretty sure that the majority of wildlife rehabilitators out there probably have similar stories where they were always that little kid. It, whether or not you went into veterinary medicine or not, uh, you're always that little kid that sort of found, you know, that injured or, or orphaned, you know, bird or whatever as a child that you would always bring home to mom. You know, I, I, I think the majority of us have all those stories. Um, but um, it's... It, uh, I can't remember where I was going with this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's already been I a did. long week.
1: I tend to talk in circles. Yeah, it is. Yeah, this is only the beginning of the, of the season. Um, yeah, so so normally, um, you know, I think all of us have that, that sort of background, you know, um, where um, we were we were sort of attracted to, to taking care of wildlife. And um, uh, the thing is, when I found... Um I didn't go into veterinary medicine, I actually went into fashion design, which is another story of uh, of mine. And so when I moved here to Grimsby I actually found a yellow shafted flicker and that's how I that's how I met Mary, you know, back in nineteen ninety. I'm gonna say it was nineteen ninety eight. And I and I did I do what everybody else does. You know, you, you phone around to all the veterinarians, you fall you phone around to all the humane societies, you phone around to all the animal control agencies. And even back then, I mean back then it was even worse. Nobody took care of wildlife, right? Veterinarians, you know, aren't even licensed to take care of wildlife. The only people who really are are the authorized wildlife custodians. And so, I had just happened to happen upon a veterinarian that knew of Mary in Welland, and that's how I met Mary with this bird. And that's when Mary and I started talking, and she said that, yeah, you know, you I W R C International Wildlife Rehabilitation Council was coming across from the states. And uh, she was hosting a course and she goes, you should take this course. And that's how my interest in wildlife rehabilitation started. But uh, having said that, the majority of Joe Blow public doesn't know when they do find a wild, um, um, an an injured or orphaned wild animal or bird. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to call. And they'll make five million different phone calls. Uh, trying to find a rehab facility because you wouldn't know we existed until you happen upon something like that. You know what I mean? Like nobody advertises. We don't advertise in the yellow pages that we take care of wildlife. Do you know? So it's it's really sort of luck of the draw. So we always try to, um, we always hope that people, when they Google wildlife, that our websites come up um, you know, there's another website called OntarioWildlifeRescue.ca, uh, where, where Sandy Donaldson has a listing of all of us on there from all over Ontario, where you can just click on the species that you found. And it sort of gives a listing of all the different rehabs, right? Which makes yep. it a little easier for, for, for the public to find, you know, the proper facility. So.
0: And you had mentioned um, when people come across animals and they're not sure what to do. I And this, this is a subject yeah. that's... I'm relatively certain we could probably talk about without recovering ground for a week. Um, but right. right now we're going to be seeing, as you said, you know, the raccoons, the squirrels, uh, bunnies, I think, probably soon too. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a lot of these animals, there's, I, I think the initial reaction to go and put them in a blankets and give them some water and wait and see what happens is what people have. You know, It's, mm-hmm. a, it, it's that, I'm going to be compassionate, I'm going to help this animal but often that's really not what they should be doing. What, what should people be doing when they see individual or, or groups of small animals who are, in this case, let's say orphaned, uh, or not orphaned, but alone?
1: Well, you know, I guess it all depends on the situation, and I guess it all depends on the baby and what kind of baby it is. Um, like, for instance, if you've got a little pinky squirrel that's at the base of a tree, you know, and the nest is uh, 400 feet up, obviously the public aren't going to be able to get it back up into the nest. I mean, obviously we want the, the mothers to be able to take care of their own babies, right? So um, in in which case, you would want to keep that little baby warm. And the first thing you really should do is call a wildlife rehabilitation apps, if you're lucky enough to have any of our phone numbers. Um, or if you call you know, your local animal control or if you call your local humane society, they should have all of our numbers as well to sort of guide you on what to do. Um, for instance, in the, in the cases of, of baby cottontails, we can go over this a million times over and over again, that um, dogs are going to um, obviously be curious enough to, to uncover a nest. Cottontails have nests right out in the middle of the, the front lawn. You know, they, they don't care where they have their babies. Um, and I think the thinking is just, you know, what we do is normally tell people just to sort of keep the dogs away for at least three weeks until the babies are big and bad enough to get up on their own and start dispersing on their own, if you're lucky enough to do that. Um, some people put little chairs or barriers around the nest to allow mom to keep coming and going to feed those animals, right?
0: What about uh, the squirrels and raccoons like is there a standard procedure and I know it's 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 hugely unique But is there sort of a what question? like what questions would you ask someone if, if I called you and said There's a, a baby raccoon in my backyard, you know where Where do you kind of lead people to get these to get the information you need?
1: Okay, so We sort of walk them through um, what to do with that baby raccoon, how big is the baby raccoon, how how does the baby raccoon look, you know, is it injured, is it dehydrated looking, Uh, in which case, these are the things that you have to factor in. If the animal's in distress, obviously it needs to come straight into a wildlife rehabilitation facility, right, to be taken care of. But if it's a healthy baby, if it's a, a a baby that's just wandering and exploring its surroundings, that's kind of natural. If he's healthy-looking, he's got glossy eyes, and then that's pretty common for um, babies to be out there wandering. And baby squirrels are the same way. You know, when baby squirrels start coming down from the trees, it's not uncommon that, for them to run up to to a human. And the calls that I, you know, we always get, I'm sure everybody, is you know this baby squirrel must have been raised by a human being because it ran right up my leg. Well. Baby squirrels normally will do that just because they're curious. And I can guarantee you that mom's up in the tree shaking her head going, oh, God. Okay? So, <laughs> <laughs> so in and, and which case, a lot of these orphans come into a rehabilitation you know, facility uh, mistakenly because it could have just been left there, you know, leave them there and let mom take care of her babies. You know, but keep an eye on the situation and make sure that that baby's still not sitting there at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning at the base of the tree and mom hasn't come to get him you know in which case now you got kind of a situation happening it's like why hasn't mom come to get that baby see what i mean and that's when you kind of have to intervene so otherwise it'll be somebody's food
0: well and that's that's a question i will ask myself sometimes mm-hmm. um when when you see an animal maybe having trouble getting around or um you know i i think an example maybe be like a bird that's that's having trouble um and you wonder is it our responsibility to intervene or should we allow this to be part of that natural system uh, of prey and predation?
1: Um, we have lost so much habitat and there's there's so much habitat that's lost. There are so many different accidents that happen, lawnmowers, you name it, cars and such because of human encroachment. Right. Because of greed, basically, you know, all of our green spaces are all townhouses now. You know, all our and farm, farmers fields are, are townhouses. You know, I get people who call me that there's a coyote, you know, sitting on their, their back deck. Why? Because he used to live there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so um, we're not rehabilitators because we, we believe in that. You know, we're there because every animal deserves our compassion and, and our respect. And, you know, it's not their fault that their habitat is dwindling. Um, and that they're moving into more and more space that, that humans uh, are living in. And granted, the reason why I called uh, Urban Wildlife Care Urban Wildlife Care is because, yes, uh, our wildlife is urban. It lives among us, right? And yep. so it, it always surprises me when people will call and, and in shock and say that there's a fox in my backyard, you know, and then you're kind of like, well, yeah, he probably lives behind the bush in your backyard.
0: Well, And, you know, Grimsby's a fascinating little area for this, and I think it's... <laughs> um, it's well, it is because like, so. I'm in Hamilton, and for people who aren't familiar with the sort of geography of southern Ontario, I'm in Hamilton, which is sort of the, the big city on the southwest corner of Lake Ontario, which then goes mm-hmm. straight east. Along mm-hmm. that lake, um, it's what is it, like a 15, 20 minute drive on the highway, you hit uh, Grimsby, which is both a small town, a very typical small town, but spreads out into really what have become suburbs. Um, you know from sure. even um, more
1: so yeah it's some sure. that have
0: been there for 20 or 30 years and some that are are some of them are it's scary to me um
1: oh yeah like
0: around sure. uh, Casablanca um yeah, oh, yeah.
1: It's, skyscrapers and, yeah and sure. it's
0: it's just it's it literally looks like a lego set someone just put down in the middle of a field mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so there's mm-hmm. this rapid growth happening uh, on land that used to be farm fields or used to be sort of meadow type forest combos um, and then of course further east you have the uh, the, the vineyards um, which are sure. uh, some of the, the best in the world right now um, and it puts people in Grimsby in this very peculiar situation where people who live there and I saw this I'm from Oakville originally so we mm-hmm. kind of saw this at one point too um, people who have lived there for a long time say well I never saw these animals before but they're not realizing that all of that land around them that used to be green space is suddenly houses. Yeah. So those animals are just, they're finding places to live. They're all being displaced. And is that something that you are dealing with frequently, is people not realizing that these animals have always been here, but we're just taking away their hiding places?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's really what, that's all part of what a wildlife rehabilitator does too. It's not just, um, you know, taking care of the animals and, and making sure they're, you know, released back into the wild and such. It's also helping the public coexist. And coexist is a huge word, right? And it's, it's what you guys do And for bear defenders, you know, is educate, 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 and, you know, that they live amongst us. And so it's just, it really is a matter of, you know, reminding them that this is why this is happening, and are you okay with that? You know, are you okay with that fox, you know, coming into your backyard? And if you're not, these are the ways to deter it, you know, if you do have pets um, that are humane. You know, to make
0: it move on. Well, and that's that's I just let my dogs out, and the squirrels remember once again why they don't like our backyard. <laughs> and you th- and it's sure. it. You know, squirrels. I I have a love hate relationship with squirrels. Living <laughs> living in a city, like I I know I, squirrels are they're wonderful little social animals. They're I love watching them. I watch them all day while I'm working, uh, just running up and down the street and jumping from roof to roof and running along the telephone wires. Uh, and it's fascinating the way they behave and forage for things. But at the same time, yeah, they're, they're, they're surprisingly intelligent little critters. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I'll be walking a dog. And I've got, say I've got a dog on a four-foot leash. And the squirrel stops seven feet away and stares <laughs> as the dog lunges and barks. And you kind of go like squirrel. I think you've been living in the city for too long. <laughs> like they've, they, they're just, they're not afraid. Like I, I'm sorry. If I was walking down the street and like a dragon came around the corner, I would not stand there and stare at it. I would run away. And I yeah. feel like squirrels, I don't know what's up with the squirrels around here, Like the, racco- uh, the you... raccoons, they, they don't come anywhere near the dogs. Uh, mm-hmm. The chipmunks don't, but the squirrels, they're just, they're constantly daring
1: yeah, sure they are the cheeky buggers. Yeah, they could probably take over the world if we gave them a chance. You know, probably do <laughs> be better than Trump. Who knows? Ah,
0: yeah. oh, and there's the politics. Um...
1: <laughs> Oops. Oh, okay. that's quite all right.
0: <laughs> I- I've made more than a few allusions to that on this podcast. Uh, but... We wish. So in that kind yeah. of case, too, and that's something um, that I think we do need to talk about. Now, I, I joke a bit about the squirrels, and in the backyard, it, it is the dog's backyard in my mind, um, and we've got fencing all around. The dogs are never unsupervised. Uh, the squirrels do like to mock them from the fence line sometimes, but again, Absolutely. they'll chase they'll chase them off the fence. Uh, they never come anywhere near to the squirrels, but the uh, harassment of wildlife is something that I, I feel that we need to talk more and more about for dog owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, I I love being in places where the dogs can run and have fun. But also mm-hmm. being cognizant of, I, I don't think just the stress, but then the damage to behavior patterns that dogs can cause. Now, are you seeing animals coming in that you think may have been... Um, uh, chased by dogs or, or grabbed by dogs. Now, we're not talking cats. Cats are a kind of different no, sociopathic totally serial killer exactly. animals. <laughs> um, and I love yeah. cats. I, I, yeah. I'm i not going to be pulled into that argument. But uh, Now, with dogs, though, is it something that maybe are you seeing the impact of?
1: Well, with the animals that I work with, uh, sure. You know, we've had squirrels come in that look like adult squirrels that were you know, mangled and and grabbed. And um, I always blame the Jack Russell Terriers, you know, uh, the ones that are the quick little buggers. Um, And, yeah, you know, we get a lot of cottontails and such that have been grabbed, not just by cats, but by dogs as well, obviously. And and, uh, so, um, again, if they're in your backyard, it's kind of hard. You know, it's kind of hard to monitor, I guess, your own pet in in the backyard. Um, How do you deter them from coming in the yard? Um, You know, there's different things you can do, but it's not, you know, something that's written in stone. Um, I think if you're walking on paths, though, I think if you're out and, and walking in on natural turtles and stuff, you should have, you know, pretty much your dogs on a leash, or be, especially this time of year, you know, when it's baby season, just, yeah. just to be, sort of be aware of your surroundings and, and know where you are and have respect for where you are, you know?
0: I, I think that's that's very true. Like, in our backyard, and, and of course, I, I would be in so much trouble if I didn't follow what I, I preach. So,
1: you know, yeah. there's there's
0: no fallen seeds or anything in our backyard, Um, remove all of that kind of stuff i do have a veggie box but it's covered up and everything and and, uh, not attracting any animals that i can see Uh, but like i said you know if the dogs are in the backyard and a squirrel chooses Mm -hmm. to run into the backyard i gotta think that Mm -hmm. he's been having a bad squirrel week (laughs) and it's just daring he's not wearing his
1: red cape that day yeah Um, no i
0: know so, and that's, that's the unfortunate reality is there will be unavoidable conflict. It's a matter yeah. of, I think, measuring that somehow and doing what we can to prevent it. Yeah, and absolutely.
1: It. Yeah. It's just all about being, you know, responsible pet owner either way. Right. Yeah, for sure. And if you're buying that house, you know, like I, I run into this all the time, you know, buy these people who build their mansions, you know, up on the escarpments or they build their mansions within beautiful forested areas. But they don't like that den of Foxes. That's right beside the house that they built their mansion on. You got to kind of wonder, what are you doing? What were you thinking? Well, and that's I love mean, nature. Why you there? Yeah,
0: that's oh, yes, that's that's, that's no. a a whole what? different yeah set of questions for a whole different interview. I think. Um, yeah,
1: oh for sure. Yeah, and that's the other chapter in my book, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> now, I, I one thing I love talking about wildlife rehabilitators uh, is some of the more interesting stories you may have, like in terms of what you've seen come in during spring, uh, trying to keep it sort of thematic here, what are some of the more interesting things that you've come across um, in terms of animals coming into your care?
1: Um, yeah, well, get yeah, pretty much the standard, you know, um, injured animals. Um, let's talk about, let's say, a wildlife conflict uh, issue. Um, it was a bunch of baby skunks, for instance, when when baby skunk season season happens. Um, you know, I got a call from actual. There was a pretty much a neighborhood you know that was was having these sightings of these baby skunks wandering around. And there was about maybe four neighbors that were really worried about these baby skunks thinking that they were orphaned. But as you work with these people, and they would call like three or four times a day, for maybe I don't know how even how long it went on for, four days, five days, until they finally took my advice, went out beyond the fence line, and actually saw that, yeah, that was mom over there, and that's where the babies were coming from. So um, it's um, those kind of situations when it comes to baby season, working with the public uh, as a wildlife rehabilitator, knowing the behavior of the animals and, and being able to guide them with how to coexist and, and get to know the, the animal that they're dealing with, um, is, is a beautiful thing, especially when it all works out and they're all happy that, okay, the mom's there, they're not orphaned, yes, they are healthy looking and they're fine and we'll just leave them be kind of thing. Uh, also results in, in a nice donation for the wildlife center as well, you know, because it's all working with your community to make sure that, that everybody um, is, is uh, doing the right thing, right?
0: Well, and that's wildlife rehabilitation centers, especially ones like yours, um, really do become a valuable community resource.
1: It absolutely is, for um, sure. My community loves me, and I thank God for Grimsby. I really yeah. do.
0: Um, for sure,
1: my neighbors, yeah.
0: And in terms of conflict, what would you say are probably the more common ones that you're dealing with? Is it, is it like, I'm seeing these babies and the mom's nowhere to be found? Oh, my God, oh, my God. Or um, Oh, it,
1: it runs the gamut, right? Especially now in baby season, for sure. And right now, it's all, like I said, it's everybody finding mama raccoon in their roofs with babies, you know, and how do we deal with that? What wildlife removal company do we call? This kind of thing. I always tell people, you know if if you need a little bit of education, you know Brad Gates is awesome with his videos on on his website. Um Google him, and uh, that's the only thing I like about Google. You know there's a few things on Google uh, that that actually are really good information. And um, you know hopefully you'll you'll find the right wildlife uh, removal company that will will help you, you know, with heated boxes and such to keep those babies up on the roof so Mom has time to relocate. These people are cutting down their trees. For instance, we have people who make nest boxes, right, for squirrels. So, so if that tree is knocked down, if mom is still there frantically trying to find a spot to put her babies, come over to the wildlife center, you know, pick up a, a, a squirrel nesting box, throw a donation at us. You know what I mean? Because we buy all the wood and such for it. Or, and, and, you know, we'll teach you how to put that nest box up so mom can relocate her baby safely and, and everybody's happy, you know, put it back up in the tree kind of thing.
0: What would you say is the strangest animal? you've ever taken in or taken care of
1: strangest
0: animal strangest strangest
1: you know I had a I had two porcupines come in last year through Flamborough really through Flamborough yeah 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 one was was really really sick really neurological and the other one um, had an injured back and, and was released subsequently released she actually made it to the dodo That was brought in through Hamilton Animal Control. And that's the whole thing, too. We all have um, great relationships with with officers, you know, that that work with all these different organizations, you know, the Humane Societies, Lincoln County, uh, Hamilton uh, Animal Control, you name it. And um, I actually took a little video uh, of this particular porcupine eating. And um, I posted it, and they wanted to post it, you know, because it's all about PR. It's to show people that, yeah, you know what, these people, you know, Humane Society officers animal control officers, sometimes I'll get a bad rap, right? But what they have to see is the good stuff that they do. The fact that they're out there they're trying to help these injured hawks, you know, by capturing them properly and, and capturing, you know, these injured porcupines, these injured whatever. And so they, they asked me to actually, you know, send them forward in that little blurb of a video that I took of this porcupine. So the only way I could figure out how to do it, because I'm not, you know, uh, computer savvy at all, I like can email, good luck. But um, I have a girl who does all my web stuff. Thank God for her. I met her at a Headstones concert, and that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, you never know who you're going to meet, right? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha thank God for her, she's gold. But anyway, um, and we were squashed at the front of the stage, it was really hot, but anyway. Um, yeah, we're talking so about I... animals
0: today, only, hmm. on, only wildlife. You no, what? No, We're only talking about wildlife today, no hard rock concerts.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no Headstones, hey, eh? no, hey, they're a good band, but anyway. Um, so, so I posted this, this little video on YouTube because that was the only way I could get a link. Do you know what I mean? And so I guess when you post stuff on YouTube, unbeknownst to me, it's, it's out there even bigger and the dodo picked up on it and they actually did a little blurb on us, which I thought was pretty cool. I actually got a call from a, I'm going to say it was a reporter from New York that wanted to do a little story on it. So, and that's how, you know, people get to know what you do and, and yeah, how you do it.
0: I do want to talk a little bit about um, both rabies and distemper with you. Uh, okay. Those are two subjects. In, Tons of it. Yeah. In, in uh, Hamilton, it, I'd say the Niagara and Hamilton region have been really hot topics in the last year or two. Um, and there has been um, an outbreak of rabies um, that I, I think has come up from the states where they are not nearly as aggressive in, uh, in bait vaccines like we are in Ontario Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also why it is not really spread that much farther from uh, from here. Uh, and distemper is also... I, I don't know if it's on the rise, but I've been seeing more talk of it. Um, yeah. So let, let's start with rabies. I think that's the one everyone is afraid of ever since Old Yeller. Um, <laughs> and it's it's a serious virus. Um, it's
1: a, it'll kill you, So bottom line. Yeah, no coming back from that, man. Yeah, so why...
0: Why do you think it's coming through the raccoon population so heavily right now?
1: Well, you know, the the story is uh, what everybody's thinking is that because we, we are close to a border is that maybe this guy came up on a train or on a truck, you know, the the original coon. And, and this is how, you know, the strain spread again. Um, used to be, I think I'm going to say it was 1997 when the Niagara region was full of member raccoon rabies strain. I'm going to say it could have been earlier than that. And and the Niagara area was a hot spot. Well, they got that finally under control. So, um, unfortunately, if we didn't have that happenstance where where the animal control officer did pick up those two dogs and she did have a raccoon in the back of the truck and things got out of hand, we never would have known, you know, back in December of 2015 that we had the raccoon rabies strain. I mean, obviously, let's let's not be ignorant. You know, rabies is out there, right? It is. It's always been out there. It just hasn't been out there in those numbers. And we did have the raccoon strain under control for for many, many years. So that was a huge shock. It was a huge game changer for wildlife rehabilitators as well who rehabilitate these animals, right? Um, So 284 cases of raccoon strain so far, you know, since December 2015. Working at an animal hospital, um, I work at Millennium Animal Hospital in Stony Creek as well, you know, full-time. And I do that because of the Wildlife Center too to make sure everybody gets cared for and such, but I'm constantly educating the public on making sure that their pets are vaccinated. You know, don't mess around with that stuff because there's so much of it out there. And it's insidious, you know, it really is. Like, there's two different types of raccoon rabies, right? You've got the aggressive one and you've got the dumb one. And with distemper, because there's so much distemper out there as well, um, there's a fine line between those symptoms. You don't know if that raccoon has distemper or rabies.
0: Yeah, I, I've seen one raccoon in the full throes of distemper mm-hmm. uh, with the seizures. Pretty sad. Yeah, it's yeah. upsetting to see. It really is. Um, it is, yeah. But, and then,
1: it, of course, in the in the end game, you get the ocular discharge and the upper respiratory issues. and
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with rabies, it's not something you would necessarily look at a raccoon and know they have rabies, right? It's not... The, it, I guess that's the people perceive it, Uh, Again, because Old Yeller and, you know, all of the the use of rabies in zombie fiction. I don't know if you you read about zombies as much as I (laughs) do, but, you know, rabies is often sort of thrown in there. And you think the frothing at the mouth, the uncontrollable aggression. But that's not only what rabies will look like. Uh, like You can see a raccoon walk down the street who is full of rabies and never know.
1: No, exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's pretty insidious. You know, it can be. For sure. Again, it's all neurological, too, right? So chewing at their limbs this kind of thing you know there's there's all kinds of neurological stuff that comes with it do
0: you think that this current fear of vaccines um, whatever stance someone has on it could be creating more problems like i i know right now absolutely yeah right now it's 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 very much focused on raccoons uh, the the public relations campaign the city of Hamilton is doing, which I quite like for the most part,
1: mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, is showing yeah.
0: skunks, foxes, bats, raccoons, all the animals that are uh, vector species. And right. um, they're, they're really creative, although they are kind of a little fear-mongering, but it's a fine line between fear-mongering and reasonable caution. Um, mm-hmm, so I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give them credit, though, for what they've done. It is very good so far. mm mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But do you think, like, is, is this something that as a wildlife rehabilitator, as an animal lover, as someone who's worked in a vet clinic, does it concern you seeing, on one hand, this spread of rabies? And it is very centralized still. Uh, so it's, it's yeah, relatively. Is it dense, nice wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank God. As
0: well. And then on the other hand, you have this fear of vaccination or people who are choosing <laughs> not to vaccinate for some pseudoscientific reason. This like like, for me, every now and then, I'll wake up in a cold sweat and think, "Oh my god, are my dogs all vaccinated?" And of course, they are. (laughs) But like, is that something that comes to you sometimes as well? Just that, how bad could this get because of these two circumstances?
1: Oh God, we can go on and on about humans. (laughs) You know, we can. Every time I try and do, every time
0: I try and do a wildlife-related podcast or interview, it turns into stuff about people. And I say that both with tongue in cheek, but it's very true. Um, whether yeah. I'm looking at, you know, uh, talking with uh, uh, researchers in the United States about uh, uh, depredation of livestock with predators, or we're talking about, you know, rabies outbreaks, uh, the, the, the yeah. role of people in these issues it is yeah. remarkable. And-
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so at, from a from a uh, animal hospital point of view, you have a one year rabies vaccine that's good for a year and you've got a three year rabies vaccine that's good for 3 years. You know? Don't mess with it. Just get it done. Be a responsible pet owner. Be that responsible pet owner that when you are walking your pets out, you know, in the bush, that you're watching out for all those babies and you're watching out for any other wildlife that could be out there, but also vaccinate them. Distemper. People are saying, oh, you know, my dog had distemper. Um, I'm even having puppies aren't even getting vaccinated properly, you know. Oh, why does he need another booster? Because when they're puppies, they need three boosters of distemper, right, in order to get the immunity. And uh, it it blows my mind all the time. You know, and then all of a sudden the puppy's coming in with Parvo or something. Um, So, and distemper on on label um, is good for a year, right? And and depending on the age of the animal, like some veterinarians might extend it to two years, okay? But be consistent with your vaccinations. Get leptospirosis. Hey, you know what? Leptospirosis is always found in raccoon latrines. Any warm-blooded mammal can have leptospirosis in their urine. And we have cases in Hamilton of lepto. You never hear about lepto, you know. And that'll kill you too. It's zoonotic to humans. That'll affect you. So, you know, be, be knowledgeable about it. Be responsible about it. And, um, you know, keep keep your animals up to date. If you love your animal, you're going to want to keep them healthy and you're going to want to keep them safe, you know. You know, and it's the same with, and hey, you know what, the way the winter was, we, uh, we've already had ticks. So... Love your possums, people, because you know possums eat billions of ticks. So you know, every animal has a job <clears throat> on the face of this earth.
0: Well, and that's uh, uh, the ticks are the one too that um, I never really thought about before. My wife is is she's a dog person. I'm I'm technically a, you know how this classification system works, right? I'm I'm a pet person. <laughs> she's a dog person. Right. Um, so she she's very. Conscious of a lot of these types of things like ticks, and um, now it's you know adding in both sort of her knowledge and what I learn about through the wildlife work we do. Um, I like ticks are they're they're scary, (laughs) (laughs) and and how easily controlled it is if we allow nature to do its job.
1: Absolutely, and we're once again you know we're always messing with that. eh? We always Mm -hmm. are. Yeah, we're always messing with the balance. So yeah and and like I said, possums are awesome, you know, bottom line. you know love love your garden angels man. you know.
0: People who do find animals. Um, and this is you know, whether you're out with your pet and you find the the the, the pinky squirrel or a, a little raccoon somewhere uh, that your, your your dog sniffs out or you find an injured bird in your backyard something that is very difficult for me to communicate because I don't have the expertise why should they not try and care for that animal themselves and that's and and I know it's it's like that's how a lot of wildlife rehabilitators like yourself end up becoming wildlife rehabilitators yeah. but yeah. there's a reason that you kind of you get that extra training and you get through the licensing and everything
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um, regardless the fact that it's illegal to have wildlife in your possession for over 24 hours, right, according to the Ministry of Natural Resources, you know, it's also um, public safety. You don't know what kind of diseases those animals are carrying. So the last thing we want is to have a wild animal in the hands of a nine-year-old child. Or you'd be amazed at how many parents think it's okay for for their daughter to handle that baby raccoon. Um, raccoons also carry something called Belascaris um which is the uh, you know raccoon roundworm which we had a child in Hamilton how many years ago five years ago that went blind from it so um, and also you don't they they're not educated enough to know especially if they they Google Dr. Google on on what to to, to how to take care of the animal and what to feed them so quite a few baby birds you know uh, oh, I was raised on a farm we always fed them bread well then you know the majority of them will die because their crops get full of bread Um, you know this kind of thing so they're not getting the proper nutrition they're not getting the proper nutrients and sometimes if you already start them on uh, you know grape flavored Gatorade with avocados (laughs) um, I could go on and on oh I had baby raccoons brought in on Clamato juice I thought that was bizarre Clamato juice where the hell did you find that they're like oh on Google which I hate one of these days I'll find out where Dr. Google lives but
0: you're um, gonna hunt down Doctor Google. Down. But um, right, I, I want I, I want to be there to film that. We'll sell it. I'll bring you and, with me. Uh, no, no,
1: you can be the yeah. wheel man, man.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, It'll be a team you
0: effort. Make me an accomplice.
1: <laughs> But no, I just kind of looked at them and I said, "Climato juice." I said, "Thank God you didn't put the vodka in it, or did you?" Um, you never know. I mean, you just you don't know, right? And so don't do anything. Don't do anything until you talk to a professional, which are wildlife rehabilitators. You know, keep, keep the baby warm if it doesn't have any hair on it, if obviously, depending on the situation, the mom's not at the tree and she's not around, la-la-la-la-la. If you can find our phone numbers, if you can contact us right away, we can guide you through all of that before you do any damage, right? And I know it's, it's human nature to feed everything. It's human nature to coddle everything and try and do the best you can, right? But unfortunately... The majority of the time, if you don't know what you're doing, you're doing more damage than not, right? And a lot of that damage cannot be reversed. So.
0: And I guess what's sort of a final message to folks who who love wildlife, maybe don't know how to get involved. I mean, for me myself, I, I rarely come across injured wildlife, and I know people who it seems every day of their life see an injured animal and rescue it.
1: I know. I get the, I get the same people calling me, too. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: So bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. What can people do though? I mean, if they're interested in wildlife rehabilitation but, you know, don't have access to the resource, uh, like if someone's living next door to you would, or um, they they want to help but aren't really sure how, what would you recommend to someone like that?
1: You mean you mean to become a wildlife rehabilitator themselves?
0: Well, well either to to become a wildlife rehabilitator, to help wildlife rehabilitators, or even just to support the process.
1: Well, yeah, well, exactly. If, if, you, if you don't have the resources and, and you don't have the time to be a rehabilitator yourself, obviously, if you do want to become a rehabilitator, we have courses you can take, like through ORIN. And there's NWRA, which is in the States, the National Wildlife Rehabilitators Association, and the International Wildlife Rehabilitators Council. Um, but also, you have to remember that um, it's all out of pocket. So anything you can do for your area wildlife rehabilitation facility, Anything you can do, donating money. For instance, I just picked up all the formulas for the beginning of the season. The majority of us get our formulas from the States, right, through Fox Valley. And and those formulas are made specifically for those species of animal. And they cost about 225 bucks American, you know, for a 20-pound pill. What's that, you know, cost in Canadian money, right? And Exactly. And so, and then it's not just the shipping and such on top of it, um, You know, it's everything else that that factors into it, the extra food that you need. It all costs money. So um, if you can donate online to some, you know, if they do, we do. We have uh, Canada Helps, obviously, and PayPal on our website as well. And I'm sure Chantel does out in Jarvis and the rest of them. But, or send them, send them a check, drop them a check in the mail. If you have a rehabilitation facility in your area, it's all up to you to care enough about your wildlife to keep them going. You know, help them with fundraisers. If you're part of a Lions group, if you're part of a Kinsman group, run a bingo for that facility to help them raise the money to pay for the supplies that they get. You know, Joe Blow com- is, is complaining about, you know, our, our... For instance, well, can you imagine what it's like to run a wildlife facility? A hydro study. I mean, that washing machine's going, you know, 24-7, right? Um, never mind the gas for the furnaces to heat stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The bills to, to run it are, are immense, and uh, regardless of, of everything else, to keep that facility going, you know. So, and fundraising is a huge aspect of it.
0: To learn more about Urban Wildlife Care or get in touch with them, visit urbanwildlifecare.com or check them out on Twitter at Urban Wildlife CA or on Facebook. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and remember to follow Defender Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can get details of all of those links on this week's Defender Radio blog at thefurbears.com. Until next time, this is Michael Howey for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.